Welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. It is episode number 22 of the Better Bass Podcast. I am coming back from a hiatus of recording the podcast. It's been about, oh, it's been over a week since I recorded an episode. This one's still going to be out on schedule. It's still going to get released on schedule like normal. But, uh, so since recording the last episode, I got the flu. I was on my back for about, uh three and a half days. I really could barely get out of bed for a while. I didn't get a flu shot this year. It was real nasty. I had a terrible time of it. And then after that, obviously, I had to catch up on all of my work and all of my life stuff that I didn't get to do for those three days and was barely able to practice the bass during that entire time for about a week. I spent pretty much a week away from uh, a week away from the base from a real practice session. I had a few minutes here and there to pick it up, but it's been a little it's been a little bit insane since I got sick and had to deal with all that. So getting back in the swing of things and getting back in the swing of things playing bass with effects. That's the topic of the episode today is practicing with effects and sonic exploration and finding those sorts of things. And this is uh, inspired, as you might imagine, by a new piece of gear that I have. I've got a Line 6 HX Stomp XL that's a, uh, a recent purchase. I've been wanting something like this for a while. I found a really good deal on a used one of these. Um, I've been really, really suspicious of digital effects in general, but particularly multi-effect units and stuff like this for a really long time, especially for bass, because... As we all know, a lot of these things are very much designed for guitar and don't handle our uh, our low frequencies very well. And I found a lot of success with this thing, a lot more than I thought I would. I kind of bought it with the intention of uh, just kind of using it for some harmony patches here and there, maybe for some ambience, some reverb and delay type stuff, but... Holy crap, there are a lot of good sounds in this thing. I'm going to move over to my harmony patch. This was the first thing I programmed in here. You'll hear a few pops and clicks as I'm changing patches. That's uh, an issue I have yet to work out with this. But I've got this harmonizer in here that's uh, it's it's four voices, right? It's a big stack of fifths. So I'm just going to bypass this real quick. So when I play this note, when I play this note A... It adds these three notes to the sound and also makes the A, uh, the unison note, synthesized. So it's all synth. It's a big stack of fifth. I'm happy at fifths, even. I'm having to tap that high F sharp to get it out. And this is what it sounds like. Sounds pretty cool, definitely. Uh, gonna be hard to use in context with, uh, particularly with a keyboard player. I think keyboard players would probably just go to the bar during that. But um, it's a really nice sound, and holy crap, does it track really, really well. There's a little bit of... A little bit of noisiness on the attacks sometimes here and there, but with a little bit of ambience added to this, this is a patch that I've designed to use with 
with other pedals, with my, my DD7, my Boss DD7, my delay pedal that I normally use. But with a little ambience added, the, the little tiny bit of weirdness on the attack is, uh, is not bad at all. It's not offensive at all. It's barely noticeable. Now, it does force you to play a certain way in order to sound good, which is a, a, a main theme of this episode, right? If you're going to do what I'm doing here and you're going to be sonically exploratory and use lots of pedals and use lots of effects, I'm a huge nerd about this. I have a... I'm actually slowly selling off a lot of it, but I have a pretty extensive pedal collection and I love to explore sonic possibilities on the bass and when I played guitar with the guitar as well. Don't really play six string anymore. If you're going to be super sonically adventurous like this, you have got to know your sounds. You've got to know your effects, you've got to know the pedals that you use, and you've got to know how they behave so that you can, you know, of course there's things out there where you don't necessarily want to be able to predict the, the behavior all the time if you're going for glitch sounds and using ring mod and, and you know, tons, tons of other possibilities with that. But you've got to have some idea of what it's going to sound like coming out the other end when you give the instrument and the pedal a, a certain kind of input, right? This harmonizer thing, so this is two instances of a dual voice harmonizer running in parallel to each other, which is something that's very easy to do with the HX stomp. This harmonizer really makes you play very, very legato if you're going to get a clear sound out of it. And you heard even those little bit of inaccuracies there. little bit of over-articulation can kind of result in some noticeable noises. And if I'm not really playing legato, if I'm playing more attacky, if I'm trying to do, like, do something that I might do in a groove solo with an octave pedal or something, and then I have this, uh, I have this on... It really doesn't sound like anything. It do, not only does it not sound very good, it kind of doesn't sound like anything. The notes are barely there. If you start playing a bunch of short notes, it's not going to be happening. And even sometimes if you play fast... It starts to lose the tracking a little bit. I know if I played that normally, if I played that clean, it would sound fine, but here it kind of loses the transitions between the notes, so the solution and what I've had to incorporate into my practice and into my playing in order to get around this is using actual legato technique and playing lots of hammer-ons and pull-offs. And even in, in sort of unnatural ways, right? Kind of jumping down, shifting down without re-articulating. Re-articulating? Woo! With shifting down without re-articulating, just moving... Just moving my, moving my left hand a couple of frets without even re-articulating with my right hand to get the sound out of this thing that I want.
and now this is very, very early in the process of me experimenting with this, and I'm already finding a lot of the idiosyncrasies of just this one patch, right? There's a lot going on here. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of ideas. And I'm sure that as I start actually using this on stage, I'm going to get a lot better feel for the sound and the response of this and what actually works in a band context. Maybe I hear something in the practice room that I don't think is very good and then I get to the stage and say, oh, okay, this actually works, or vice versa. Most of the time it's vice versa. Most of the time I find things that sound good in isolation and that don't in context. But it's all about just familiarizing yourself with the sound getting used to it, getting used to the way that it is, the way that it responds, the way that it's going to sound when you give the instrument a certain input, so that you don't have to think about that anymore, and so that you aren't surprised on stage in the middle of a song when, let's say, you try to play a solo with this harmonizer and you have some idea and you play something super staccato and it sounds like absolute garbage and it's just noise, right? Not getting caught off guard by that is the whole point of this process. Coming up with the sound, inventing the sound, doing the sonic exploration is, in my opinion, about 10% of the battle here, and the other 90% lies in actually learning how to use the sound and how to contextualize it. And I've got several other patches here. I'm going switch to switch to this patch and just show off the, the OC2 model in this thing, the Boss OC2, the octave pedal. It's a super classic octave pedal that the HX Stomp does great justice to. I mean, just listen to this. That's the, that's the octave one all the way on, dry signal all the way off, octave two all the way off setting. Any bass player who's ever spent any time playing with effects knows that the OC2 is pretty much the most powerful bass synth engine ever, right? And this one sounds good. This one sounds freaking fantastic, and I've been combining this, I've been doing what one does with an OC2 with this kind of patch and combining it with other effects. So here's a classic synth bass sound, classic synth bass bass guitar sound, octave fuzz filter, can't go wrong. And this is a, that's a low-pass filter, a resonant low-pass filter that I'm controlling with an expression pedal with my foot as I'm playing. That's not like an envelope filter, auto-wah sound or anything. But holy crap, is it a great, just, is it a great just tone on its own? Even if I just leave the expression pedal in one spot? play some uh, play some super sloppy out of time garbage but just that synth sound on its own is great and then taking this OC2 thing and combining it with a ring mods I've got a, a ring mod with amplitude modulation on it I don't necessarily know which pedal this is modeled after but <laughs> 
to me, that's uh, that's like a JoJo Mayer nerve thing. And then the ring mod without the amplitude modulation, I've got it with a, a sweepable carrier frequency with the expression pedal. So you get this. <laughs> And it doesn't sweep super smoothly, which I'm not crazy about. I think it just moves in, uh, the carrier wave moves in 100 hertz increments, and that's just the the limitation of the software slash hardware. I don't really know. I'm not a, I'm not a, a software dev, obviously. But there's some really, really awesome sounds in here, and I've got a lot of hours to put in now to just get used to all this and to spend time with all this. And also to do my best to spend time with this stuff in context, right? I've been spending a lot of time practicing, uh, practicing with like like this sound, even just this ring mod sound. Just that ring mod sound with uh, with with various drum loops and trying to create grooves with that, seeing what the sonic possibilities are, so that I'm not totally surprised at the way that it sounds when I start playing together with a drummer. Right? That's something that I run into a lot using effects. And if if you've ever played bass with effects in a band, then you'll know this: is that like you come up with this crazy sound in the practice room. It sounds fantastic on your monitors, coming out your amp, whatever, in your headphones. Then you get on stage and you push all your buttons to get this sound and you go to play a note and it just sounds like nothing, right? It's either just noise out front or it's pure mud or it's completely covered up by the drums. It doesn't sound the way that you expected it to when it's actually in a mix. So... Obviously, this is going to happen. I'm anticipating this happening. I'm anticipating there being some absolutely glorious stage failures when I go for a sound and it just steps all over everything or worse, totally drops the bottom out from underneath the band. But I'm doing my best to mitigate that by trying to play this stuff in context. Put on a drum loop, play it loud, play a groove get it really together that way. And there's also the obvious drawback here of thinking about the effects and thinking about what you're doing with your sound detracting from the groove and distracting from the actual performance of the music, which is the absolute last thing that I want, right? That's a big component of the importance of spending time with this, spending time with this stuff, trying to get it in as many contexts as you can so that when you're on stage, you don't really have to think about it. When I'm on stage playing a, a, some, some piece of improvised music, some song, and I'm going to go for, let's say, one of these crazy synth sounds, I'm going to go for, uh, I'm going to go for, uh, I'm going to go for this. I don't really want to be thinking about it too hard. I want to get to the point where I'm familiar enough with this sound that I know exactly what to expect to hear behind me coming out of my amp and that I can just kind of do it, right? I want to be able to just push these buttons, go for the sound, commit to it, have confidence in my commitment to it, and make it part of the performance 
and not lose anything, not lose my my sense of groove, my sense of time, not lose my listening to the soloist. So I'm spending time practicing these grooves the same way as I practice groove normally with drum loops and by recording myself and listening back and listening back to the interactions. I already know just for the sake of this podcast, I haven't bothered correcting it, but I know from recordings that I've got some serious volume balance issues, and you've probably already heard this on the podcast. Some of these, uh, some of these sounds are a lot louder than others. This one is actually pretty quiet. This uh, this Swedish chainsaw fuzz, the octave fuzz filter synth sound I've been working with here is a lot, a whole lot quieter than this AM, this amplitude modulated ring mod. And I've got to spend some time to correct that. I didn't quite realize that until I heard it recorded, but I've got work to do. I've still got more work to do with this. I've got to refine the sound. And there's certainly an argument to be made here that I shouldn't be doing any of this at all, right? Like, whenever is this this effect unit going to actually pay for itself in gigs that I am going to need it on? I don't need any of this. None of this is necessary. I could just focus on being the best bass player possible by plugging the bass straight into the amp and getting the most beautiful tone possible, and I'm not arguing against that in any way. The vast majority of bass players' entire careers, of good professional bass players' entire careers, are built like that, by plugging the bass into the amp and going. This advent of effects and this advent of sonic exploration on this instrument is a relatively new thing. But it it's what I'm about. It's what I want out of music. It's what I want out of the way that I play. It's a part of my identity. It's a part of my sound. I am always, for better or for worse, there's also an argument to be made that this is total bullshit and I shouldn't ever be thinking about this at all, but I try to be singular. I actively try to be singular. Within the community of musicians that I'm in particularly, I try to play in a way, I try to make music in a way that is very idiosyncratic to me and gives me a strong personal identity as a musician, as a bass player. And in my opinion, this sonic exploration stuff, this sound stuff, is a fantastic way to do that. It's a great way to do that because there's so many possibilities. Using effects, there are so many combinations, so many endless ideas and endless possibilities that you're gonna find something new. You're gonna find something. You're gonna find some combination of things that probably nobody else at all has done before if you spend enough time with this and if you spend enough time experimenting. Right now, I'm not necessarily looking for new effect combos. I know that uh, this synth patch that I've been showing off is largely all based on Tim LaFave and things that I've seen and heard Tim LaFave do. The harmonizer, the whole concept of it, even using this piece of hardware, the HX Stomp, is pretty directly stolen from Yannick Guzdala. I'm not using his patches exactly. I built the patches from the ground up myself. I'm sure they're similar. I can't imagine they're that different. But at this point, I've certainly got something going on, even with just this one piece of gear, not even including any of the other pedals on my board. I'm only running through the Stomp XL right now. My pedal board is torn to pieces. I'm, uh, I I've got this sitting in front of me on my desk because I've been programming patches and stuff. But even with just this one piece of gear, I've got something going on that's pretty unique already, I feel. And there's only more possibility in the future. 
I'm only going to get more refined with this. I'm going to spend the time practicing and spend the time performing to refine this sound to the degree that I've refined my sound with my fingers, right? The sound that comes from my bass plugged straight into my amp with just my hands. I've spent thousands of hours refining that. I've spent thousands of hours trying to create the most beautiful sound possible with just the bass and the amp. And now I've got another possibility. Now I've got more to work on. Now I've got more work to do, and I don't want this to detract from my normal acoustic sound, obviously. But I'm willing to do that work. And I'm really willing to do that work for the payoff of some freaking awesome synth bass sounds. And not just synth bass sounds either, man. This Stomp XL, I can't tell you enough how how wholly versatile this thing is. It's 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 really really amazing. I've I've made this patch. I called it Pop Gig because it's something that I would use on a pop gig or use on a rock gig. That's got it's got a few things in it, right? It's got some basics. I have this always on boost that I'm using, this EP booster model that I think sounds fantastic. <laughs> That's my clean tone with the boost. This is my clean tone without the boost. Just gives it a little bit of extra balls, right? And on this pop gig patch, I give given myself all the most basic effects that I would use on a, a pop gig, on a wedding or a, a pop tour or a, whatever it would happen to be. I've got this, uh, here, let me switch my pickup setting to the setting that I would actually use on a gig like that. I'm swapping over to both pickups here from my usual bridge pickup sound. So now it sounds like this. And then I've got a compressor and an amp sim here that are just, th th this is wild how good this sounds. It's it's incredible. It's incredible how how cutting and how powerful this sound is. Even when I play super duper sloppy like that, it still just it still punches so hard that deep compression, the Ampeg SVT sim in there, and like I said, I was super skeptical of this. Especially for bass, I was super skeptical of this. But the point of this is that there's good stuff out there with effects for every occasion. At least I think. And the more time I spend with a library of thousands of effects at my fingertips via this multi-effect unit, thousands of really good effects, by the way, obviously there's some lemons. There's a lot of stuff in here that I've tried that I just haven't liked the sound of at all. But... There really are possibilities that work pretty much anywhere. And just because you're a rock bass player, just because all you do is uh, is classic rock type stuff, don't necessarily dismiss this stuff. And obviously it can be financially restrictive, right? So if you're of the means to do it, then I encourage you to experiment with effects. Experiment with your sound. See what you can do. And if you've got, like, a couple of pedals and that's all you have is, like, a cheap chorus pedal and an octave or something, see how many possibilities you can create with that. See how much of a, a soundscape, for lack of a better term, that kind of implies ambient music, which isn't necessarily what I'm going for. But 
see how many sonic possibilities you can create with what you do have, and then see if you really, really know it. If you've got a chance to play a show using your effects, see where you can make them work, see where you can throw them in. Does it sound the way that you expect it to sound? Are there volume differences? Does it cut through the mix better, worse, differently? Does it sit in the mix right? Are you stepping on the rest of the band sonically? Pay attention to these sorts of things and refine your sound. That's everything we're doing. That's all we're doing here is refining our sound slowly over time. 0.1%, 0.01% at a time. That's the that's the entire point of practicing an instrument, right? And that's obviously a large part of the, fa the facility. Philosophy, rather, of better bass is to just incrementally improve. And doing that through sound, doing that through sonic exploration, through effects, through tones, through options, is a great way to get there. That's all I've got for you in today's episode, but before I stop recording here, I want to give a huge shout-out to uh, Mr. Talib Grant, the first uh, first paid subscriber to the Better Bass Substack. Betterbass.substack.com is the home of the podcast. If you're not on the mailing list over on the Substack, then please get on there. You'll get every episode delivered straight to your inbox. Everybody who subscribes really, really does help me grow this thing and make it bigger and better and keep putting it out for free. But Talib gave me a paid subscription. He pays $8 a month. He's got an $8 a month subscription to uh, support the podcast. And normally on on the Substack platform, right, there's some kind of paywall and you've got an option to have some free content and some content that's only for your paid subscribers and that sort of thing. I don't have any paywalled content right now and I've had this paid option turned on and activated, but I haven't been soliciting it, I haven't been going around asking for the support because I don't have any incentive to offer, right? But if you do want to support, if you do want to throw something my way, I would greatly appreciate it. And now I'm looking into options of maybe having some paid content on there, some articles, some more specific lessons, maybe video. It's all in very, very early stages, but uh, it seems like I'm going to be looking into that in the future with Substack. Substack has been a great platform, a great place for this podcast to live, a great place for some discussion to happen. Subscribe to the mailing list, betterbase.substack.com. The episode's already way too long. I'm 27 minutes in. I hope y'all have enjoyed. I hope y'all have gotten some inspiration and some, uh, some creative juices flowing from this, and I'll see you in the next one.